Hello, Sci-Fi fans. This is Edward James Olmos, better known as Admiral Adama, and you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Welcome. And don't forget, this is the best podcast on the internet. So say we all. Live long and prosper. Bad feeling about this. So say we all. This is going to get pretty interesting. Divine interest. The God of God, we're all going to die. Only try to realize the truth. There is no spoon. are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, and now, from the end of the universe, bringing you the latest in science fiction movies and television shows, here are your hosts. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 98. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I am Miles P. McLaughlin. And we are opening up the diner, and we got tons of stuff to serve you tonight. Got some good sci-fi to talk about. Yep, and we just got off of an awesome interview with Aaron Rosenberg. Make sure you check out his site. That interview's not going to air for a little bit, but we had a good time chatting with uh, a War of Warcraft, Starcraft novelist who's mm-hmm. done tie-in work, Star Trek tie-in, right. Eureka, Stargate Atlantis, mm-hmm. was phenomenal. He does, but he's doing more than tie-in work. He's doing some of his own stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So make sure you check out Aaron Rosenberg at whatgriffinrose.com, I believe you can find his site. And that's a little bit of a plug, a little bit of a treat, a little bit of a uh, before-dinner mint before we get into the actual meat of the show. And he will be at the Shoreleaf Convention this year, too. Yes, looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Miles, how have you been, man? I'm doing pretty good. And so what's going on in science fiction in your world? Uh, I am reading a Star Trek novel. Um they're doing something with the Department of Temporal Investigations. I just got that from my Kindle last week, and I like that they're putting making Star Trek novels bigger, like 500, 600 pages. So um, I actually like the longer books. So I'm enjoying that. Um, it took me a little while to get caught up on SGU, but uh, the last two episodes I thought where they find their alternate timelines, Descendants, uh, my wife and I really enjoyed that immensely. Uh, the event is looking really good still. Still enjoying what they're doing with the event. Yeah, we'll talk about a little bit about that on our listener feedback episode. But I'm watching both. I'm caught up in both. Watch both last night. Mm-hmm. Did you watch last night? No, I have not yet. Oop, so I'm going to spoil it for you. I'm just kidding. I'm going to do that. <laughs> but no, uh, they continue to be good. Uh, a little bit of you know, you know, in SGU they've been playing with the whole drone thing, right? And right. That, that's uh, that's becoming just a bit annoying for me. Okay, I'm going to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, people, listeners, you can disagree with me. Tell me why you love the drones. But I, I just feel like it's a bit weak for me. But mm-hmm. Let's get into our show tonight. Mm-hmm. We have a ton on the menu, and there's not a real listener question tonight because that's kind of tied in with the contest that we're going to begin tonight. And this contest is going to lead us up to our 100th show, Miles. Ooh. We are a month out from our 100th show, if we do every other week. Mm-hmm. In fact, our 100th show will be the show that we go weekly again, I believe. Okay. Doesn't, cool. doesn't that make sense? Mm-hmm. I think that makes 
that sounds right. Mm-hmm. So, but let's go. Let's talk about what's on the menu tonight. Tonight we have an interview with Chris Prexta of the Mercury Man. Never heard of the Mercury Man? You got to check out Sci-Fi's website because their episodes will be launching very soon in the next month or two. Um, similar to the way. Um, Reese Kingdom Falling was released. It, uh, they're releasing webisodes. And the thing that's unique about this is it's black and white, and it looks awesome. Yeah, it kind of harkens back to the sci-fi series of of yesteryear, maybe, maybe back in the 50s. Uh, or but maybe, done much better, in my opinion. Right. I mean, if they'd have had technology back then that they have now, they could have made that much better. Oh, know? yeah. Um, and we are giving away three things. I'm not going to tell you what they are, but the three things that we're going to be giving away, and we're going to announce that contest in just a moment after I'm done with the menu. Dr. Horrible 2 is near completion. BBC is going to co-produce three shows with the U.S. We're going to talk about that, and they're sci-fi shows, obviously. Supernatural is renewed. The Avengers scripts is now for sale. Uh, Twilight's Ender, we have a Twilight Enders game mashup. We'll explain that in a moment. Rumors, rumors abound. Call Urban, one of them, claims to know when Star Trek 12 begins filming. And rumor two, the original Terminator cast is going to return for the fifth installment of the franchise. Um, Ionize gives us the 10 greatest handguns in sci-fi fantasy. That'll be a quick list, but a fun list nonetheless. Uh, Superman is no longer proud of his country, and uh, fans are pretty upset, at least in our forums. And um, we're going to share a little bit about Peter David interview. Um, Miles is going to bring us a DVD review of Inception, which I watched and fell asleep through, so I'm looking forward to your <laughs> review of it. Um, and the twist, we're going to talk, we're going to remember William Campbell tonight and talk about, and maybe remember as well the Shatner scene that never was in the 2009 movie. Mm-hmm. And Miles, you're going to share your top five patio books yes. in Sci Fi 5 and mm-hmm. 5. So it's a pretty big menu tonight, no and um, but it's going to be good, and I'm, I'm enjoying. It. I'm going to enjoy this. This There's some good stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move into our trivia, and this isn't so much of a trivia question as just a giveaway. Right. So we're giving this stuff away. Why, Miles? Why? Because we are approaching our 100th episode. Right. So. 100 episodes, and as we said before, it's actually more than that. If you include listener feedbacks and all the special episodes we've done, we're probably, we have to be closer to 140, I'm guessing. Probably, but for our main show, I mean... This yeah, is, this, this, that's this, where it counts. Yeah, that's, yeah, where, that's where it counts. Oh, right. Nothing else counts, right? <laughs> um, uh, but we have some really cool loot to give away. We have some great loot. Right, and so we're hoping for... Uh, and we really made this trivia question pretty easy. It's really not a mm-hmm. question at all. But before we get into the question, let's let's tell them what we're going to give them. Well, our, our friends at ThinkGeek uh, hooked us up with another $100 gift card. Yes, so you'll be vying for that $100 for ThinkGeek. And hey, in today's economy, that's good. Very good. Uh, and... Um, also, another prize is the Benita Frida C. Uh, signed print. Um, That's a beautiful and priceless prize, in my opinion. Right. Uh, great lady. If, you, if she's ever at a sci-fi convention, you need to go meet her say hi. Um, and a third prize, um, third, third prize, uh, a Mercury Man poster. So we're talking about the Mercury Man in the interview today, but uh, they hooked us up with some posters. Yeah, and they're and they're absolutely beautiful posters. Mm-hmm. They really are. And uh, and they, they'll look good in any wall. Right. Yeah. Black and white, and there's all, rooms always... I have tons of photography in this room that's black and white, mm-hmm. and I just love black and white photography. You'll love these posters; they're great. Um, so, uh, what do they have to do to be in the winning to win one of these prizes? Now, we're going to choose, and in the order, the top prize is the Think Geek gift card. Mm-hmm. The second 
The second place prize is a Benita Friedersy signed print. The third prize is a Mercury Men pr- posters. Mm-hmm. But uh, what do they have to do in order to win this or to be in the contention? They e- either by audio or email send us your favorite sci-fi diner moment, and uh, we'll select the top three winners. Yeah, and so you want to make it good. You want to really, you want to really sell this moment and why this moment impacted you or why it was so awesome to mm-hmm. you, right, Miles? Absolutely. Yeah, they want to make it sound good. Uh, some of you have already s- submitted your favorite moments. You're more than welcome to resubmit them with a little bit more flair if you want. Kalis, I'm talking to you because I know that you submitted one already. Um, but we will be announcing winners on our 100th episode. That gives you three weeks, maybe a little bit longer, three weeks to respond. Um, and uh, you can respond again by calling in your audio to Miles. Um, call, they call the, our uh, Skype number, which is one 508 4343 or email us at um, the com, which you can also send an MP3 message. And uh, you know that would all that would also work. And by the way, that's our one eight hundred number, not our Skype number. Not that it matters; it'll come to the same place. Okay. And it's toll free if you're in the U.S., but it's still free if you attach an MP3 file. It doesn't cost that, you that's true too. one lick of thing. The deadline for this contest: we need all entries in by the thirty first. That's May thirty first, right after Memorial Day, I believe. And so get those entries in, and uh, that's when we're going to be doing the show. And one hundred will be one hundred years old. I mean, I mean, episodes old. One hundred podcast. That's, that's still a milestone. That is a milestone. Mm-hmm. And by the way, uh, Matt Anderson, I have not forgotten your prize from two weeks ago. I will be sending that out. I this. I'm the slep who has been slacking on sending out prizes, but I will get it to you, Matt Anderson, Mister Anderson. I'm in the Matrix mode. But, all right, uh, well, let's move into our first promo tonight, and we are giving a promo. This is a Mike Ga- Mike Crates podcast, The Gatecast, mm-hmm. which if you are an SG-1 fan, you're going to want to check this out. I was dialoguing with him, by the way, on Facebook. I don't know if you saw this, but he, he didn't know that Tamal Pennicut was in a Stargate. Oh, okay. Stargate episode. Yeah. So I'm sure he probably went back to watch it. Uh, he went back. It wasn't the most memorable moment for Tamal Pennicut. Well, it probably just a bit roll. It was a bit roll and pretty Unf- much forgettable. Like, yeah, yeah, pretty forgettable. But he knew who he was. He did it. Oh, I know now. Mm-hmm. He, I guess he did a little bit of research on it. But mm-hmm. anyways, this is a promo for the Gatecast. Make sure if you love Stargate that you check them out. Hi, I'm Alan. And I'm Mike. Do you like Stargate SG-1? Did you think it was all over? We didn't, and so the Gatecast was born. We are two guys with far too much time on our hands and are exploring the stories of Stargate Command, episode by episode. With commentary about our favourite SG team's adventures. You mean the girly kick-ass team from Atlantis? No. We're talking about Jack O'Neill, Sam Carter, Daniel Jackson and Teok, who make up SG-1 along with Dr. Fraser, Walter and General Hammond who lead the human race towards new worlds where people have certainly been before and some a long, long time ago. Each week a new episode will be discussed along with news and listener comments. So search for Gatecast on iTunes or use your chosen podcatcher. Or visit us at gatecast.facecast.com or our Facebook page. And join in the fun. We guarantee all comments will be read out. Gatecast. By fans. For fans.
And we're back. Miles, we have a ton of different news here tonight. Right. We're starting off with TV news. We have some movie news. We have some DVD news. We have some other news. There's just news all over, comic book news. We have stuff all over the place. All over the map. And there's tons of news this week. Tons of stuff. And actually, I stayed this week, but it's really two weeks here because someone slept in the dessert menu. <laughs> I don't know if our listeners were especially bad this week. He said, no dessert for you. Yes, that was it. Uh, that, <laughs> no dessert. No, just a... Uh, just uh, Actually, a very your, crazy week of life. Uh, yeah, your fridge melted down. You couldn't have dessert anymore. That's true. When, the, the ice cream wouldn't stay cold. Yeah, it would, it, the, the cake melted or something exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah, so that's, that's what we blame. We blame the refrigerator. That's right, right. But, but folks, I have a new refrigerator, so... Uh, so that's good. So we, he's going to bring us much more dessert. Exactly. <laughs> more dessert. More dessert. Yes. Um, well, let's start off with some TV news, and this excites me. And by the way, i got to mention that this news really lines up with the Sci-Fi Christian podcast and their episode on their Dr. Horrible review. Did you listen to that? I, I, I started listening. I haven't listened to all of it yet. It's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And uh, they do a good job of tearing it down. And obviously, I'm a fan of Dr. Horrible. And uh, so this is kind of for you guys there at the Sci-Fi Christian. But this is uh, some news about Dr. Horrible. Tell us about it, Miles. So Joss Whedon reveals Dr. Horrible 2's music is near completion. Uh is from Colin. Uh, with production uh, for the Avengers less than two weeks away, you think that either the shooting schedule or the $150 million budget will be foremost in the mind of director Joss Whedon. Nope. Our geek hero is still thinking about Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Best of all, wh- when asked if he could bring Dr. Horrible to Broadway, like Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, Whedon told the New York Times, I always say my heart is more to the idea of a sequel. He then continued to give us something... T- to live for. We've got several songs uh, near completion and we've got a very specific structure. We just got all the jobs and it's not like uh, uh, Neil, uh, Nathan and Felicia ain't busy either. We got together at Christmas and filming occasions and then uh, play each other our partial songs and go. Yep, that's still exactly as it uh, was last time we've played. We're, we're, we're great. Of course, uh, Felicia Day's presence implies that our character Penny will appear in the sequel um, and, and has Dr. Harwell revived her? Has he created a Penny, a Penny clone? Robot Penny? Penny from another dimension? Whedon hasn't confirmed this or anything else about the plot of Dr. Harwell to accept the title. It's going to be Dr. Harwell and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. right. Right, sure. I'm all for Robo Penny. I want Robo Penny. How about, how about Clone Penny? Clone Penny would be great too, but I, I, Robo Penny, come on, Robo Penny. It, it'd be something that you would think an evil scientist or Zombie Penny. He didn't mention Zombie Penny. Now, see, here's what I'm wondering. This was, this was good Penny. I wonder if we're gonna get evil Penny or bad Penny. Yeah, come on, <laughs> talk about bad puns. But you know, bad Penny. Yeah, yeah, or so, good luck Penny. The, the, the sky's the limit what they could do there. Right, right, if, right. If they're bringing her back, they could do a lot. Or of Penny stuff. on a track with a train rolling over Penny. Oh, gosh. Oh, that's not very good. No, no, no. We, we're bringing Penny back. We don't want to kill her. Yeah, we don't want to kill her off right away. Right. <laughs> right. Anyway, I think it's awesome that we have this. And this came out, by the way, I got this the day after we recorded the last one, which is why it's like two weeks old. The Avengers, of course, started shooting and stopped shooting. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Right. But uh, I'm excited about this. Bring it on, Weedham. Bring it on. I can't wait. And um, I know they all, this is kind of like a fun thing that they're doing, it sounds like, and nothing that they're seriously looking at. But this thing won an Emmy, though, right? I mean, uh, my understanding, my so understanding. The first one won. I mean, this is, uh, you know, I mean, I it turned out something small, but it became something huge. I guess when you're financing it on your own, that which is what I'm imagining they're doing Probably. here, yeah. then so be it. But at least we're going to get Doctor Horrible too. Yes, 
BBC America is going to co-produce a trio of U.S. premier sci-fi shows. And this is from BBC America signed up to co-produce the new season of Being Human, along with the previously announced co-produce to co-produce Outcast and Bedlam for a supernatural Saturday lineup. And by the way, they are coming. I saw this on BBC because I'm in watching Doctor Who. I saw the advertisement for these coming. They're co-producing. They're co-producing. Um, uh, BBC America is co-producing the new season of British original Being Human. Fourth season of an eight-hour of eight-hour-long of eight-hour-long episodes will air in 2012. BBC America is co-producing along with BBC Drama Productions and BBC Three. The show is produced by Touch Paper Wales and is written and created by Toby Whitehouse from Doctor Who and Torchwood. The sci-fi drama Outcast is in co-production with BBC America, Kudos Film and Television and BBC. Created and written by Ben Richards. The series premieres June eight. 18th and 9 p.m. It stars Eric Mabus, Ugly Betty and the L Word, Liam Cunningham from Clash of the Titans, and Hermione Norris, MI5 and Wire and Blood. The show explores the survival, sex, politics, and then the drive for power in the new post-Earth era. Bedlam is co-produced by BBC America and Red Productions. The series stars singer and actor Will Young, pop idol winner, Winner and Skins, Charlotte Salt, the Tutors, and Joanna Page, Gavin and Stacey, and is written by Neil Jones, Dave Allison, and Chris Parker. The story set in the apartment building converted from a pre-Victorian lunatic asylum, unfolding as the former asylum spirits come back to claim what they believe is theirs and seek revenge on those who have wronged them. This show premieres October 8th at 9 p.m. So I don't know. Uh, doesn't this sound appealing? Um, honestly, not right now. Um, uh, if anything, I'm still I'm still outcast. Outcast. I, mean, is it, I thought outcast was done. I thought it was canceled. Yeah. What is this? Well, I, mean, I think I think it's it. Maybe it wasn't officially canceled. I know. Maybe what's happening here is we're getting it in America now. Okay. Maybe maybe, maybe they like it, was, it in England and we don't like it here or something. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just got this news story. It was BBC. Yeah. Come on. I had to. I had to throw it in. Hmm. Let's move in. Let's move on. We don't need to sure. talk about this anymore. Well, CW renews uh, Vampire Diaries and Supernatural. No surprise there. Nope. Uh, Entertainment Weekly reports that the CW announced early renewals of the genre series The Vampire Diaries and Supernatural for next season. Vampire Diaries, no surprise, as it's network number one show this year. Supernatural is holding its own its sixth season, and since uh, Smallville has series finale after 10 years on May 13th, a show to anchor the different uh, Friday night schedule is much needed. The fact that both shows are produced by or associated with a CW half-partner, uh, Warner Brothers Television, couldn't hurt either. Yeah, so I know there's some people that love this. I, I've never watched Supernatural, and the only reason I have any interest at all is because of, of Christopher Heyerdahl in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I'll watch it sometime. And by the way, Bedlam was recommended to me as well that I need to watch it. We'd mentioned that just previously with BBC. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vampire Diaries, I just don't have any love for that right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, the whole vampire thing. Smallville's more enticing to me. Well, yeah. Well, it's it's only going to be a few more episodes until it's done. It's off. Yeah, it's so, off. And it looks like they're not coming up with. A, I mean, the CW is not coming up with a new superhero show to replace it. So. At least not right now. Right, not right now. Mm-hmm. Well, you know. So, but good news for those uh, people out there that love Vampire Diaries and Supernatural. And if you love Vampire Diaries and Supernatural, tell us why. We want to know why you love these shows because Miles and I aren't loving on them. I, I know Kevin Bachelor is loving on. Um, uh, Supernatural. Supernatural, yeah. I'm not sure he's a Vampire Diaries fan. He might no. be. He might be. But there are some other people. If you like Vampire Diaries, or Kevin, if you want to explain why Supernatural is so phenomenal that we got to... You know, you have me watching right now Legend of the Seeker. I'm like, Kevin, you got to understand, I am halfway through season one because of you. Because uh-huh. of you. It's your fault. 
Your fault, and that's that's all I'm saying. Kevin, you see, you do have an influence on Scott. Yes. I am in mind control. The Matrix. <coughs> Kevin Batchelder has me. All right. Um, in some movie news, we had uh, news that came out that the theft of Samuel L. Jackson's script will it force Avengers re- to rewrite. Gosh. So his his script was lifted, but... Let me let me just read the story. They stopped filming on Avengers this week. Mm-hmm. They started, then stopped, and they stopped because of some rewrites. Um, whether this is connected to Samuel Jackson's scene or not, but here, let me just read what the story said because it kind of clarifies some of the stuff and maybe muddies some of the stuff. Someone, presumably not the Red Skull, Hugo Weaving, has managed to get his hands in Samuel Jackson's copy of the Avengers script. And not only that, but the anonymous thief has been contacting various entertainment sites and offering to sell the script to the highest bidder. Pictures of some of the script pages have already popped up in the wild, but as of yet, there hasn't been any takers. The big question is just how serious is are the consequences of the leak according to fan film review the production on the film has already been halted in order to make changes to the story there's still some skepticism out there though as to whether such a costly move is really necessary for one thing there's no way of knowing how finalized the script actually is there are plenty of smaller projects out there that get rewrites every day where it is a script that was leaked disappeared from LA and not the filming in Albuquerque which begs another question, just how recent is that script? In addition, the images that are cropped up online show scenes involving Scarlett Johansson, Mark Ruffalo, and Robert Downey Jr.'s characters. Meanwhile, the scenes in production currently involve Chris Evans, Samuel Jackson, and Chris Helmsworth. Why halt production when the scenes being filmed aren't the ones leaked online? Still, the Avengers is no ordinary movie, and that means the script leak means a lot of debate as to what to do without any easy answers. Has production really been put on hold, though? At the moment, the answer seems to be probably, but not definitely. And if it has, it feels unlikely that this hold will last for long. In the end, the most likely truth is that the script will be altered during production anyway, regardless of whether it was a leaked script out there. That means we'll still be surprised when we're sitting in the theater come next summer. What do you make of this situation? And if the shoe were on the other foot, what would you do? And there's some pictures of at least some of the pages of the script here in our show notes, and we'll put them up on the web. Interesting. Miles, what's your thoughts on this? Should we be worried that the script's been late? Um, I can understand... Um the producer's uh, concern. Um, it's a, it's a hard it's a hard thing. I mean, I'm still gonna go play and go see in the movie, and I'm not gonna. I have no interest in looking at the script, any page of the script now. So I I don't have a dying desire to go look for, look it up. Um, I still I don't think it's gonna affect the movie. I mean, people still want to go see it. Well, you know, here's my thought. Remember when Wolverine was leaked a month before it came out? That's what I was thinking too. And and all it did was it sold the movie. Like people went and flocked, and it drew a lot of attention to it, and it did real well in the box office. Box office, despite what you may have thought that Wolverine was like. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the movie personally, but a lot of people were kind of ambivalent, too, sure. especially the pure diehards. Right. But I enjoyed the movie, and you know, what's to say that the script, even if it hints a little bit about what's to come, is it still going to entice people to go see the movie? People will still go see it. I don't. There's not going to be no problem there. Yeah, and I can't imagine they can't shut this guy down. Well, I, that's I mean, the other thing. I, I, I mean, not shut this guy down and um, threaten legal suit, uh, you know, criminal, cr- criminal charges here. I mean, uh, I'm sure they can find this guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. 
what do you think? Do you think there's just going to have a huge impact? Do you even care that the script's leaked? I'm more concerned that they shut the production down than anything. I'm more about delaying the release of the movie. Yeah, yeah. but uh, it sounds like at least this writer, and I forget where I pulled what's, what site I pulled this from. I don't have it here, but you know that it sounds like it's not going to be long. And so maybe I'm not worried. You know, if they stop it to do rewrites, that makes sense. Right. You want it to look good. And, you know, we know that Joss Whedon certainly has uh, the writing chops for this. Oh, I, I think it's going to be phenomenal just, just by having him. So as we're a- looking for He certainly has comic book experience, too. So. Mm. Well, uh, next story uh, is the Twilight folks, the folks from Twilight, the series, the Twilight Saga, are going to do Ender's Game? Question mark. So here's the story. It looks like Summit, the studio that brought us and continues to bring us the Twilight Saga adaptations, will be the next studio to try to adapt adapt Orson Scott Card's classic 1985 sci-fi novel Ender's Game with X-Men Origins Wolverine director Gavin Hood at the helm. The last attempt to bring Ender's Game to the screen imploded in 2008 when the project was at Warner Brothers and being developed by Das Boot and Troy director Wolfgang Peterson. Now, on the surface, this might look like it could be pretty bad news. A studio bankrolled by sparkly teen vampires making a hard-hitting story of little kids trained for war against an alien enemy directed by the guy who made a so-so entry in the X-Men series. However, Hood has also made some pretty emotionally rough dramas, like the Oscar-winning Tootsie, I think it is, and Rendition. Also, Robert Orsi and Alec Kurtzman. Kurtzman, two of the minds behind the recent Star Trek reboot, will be producing. So fans of Ender Game, is this good news, bad news, or just a setup for another adaptation that will have the plug pulled on it? Hmm. Good question. Um, it doesn't bother me. The moment you put Robert Orsi and Alex Kurtzman there, I'm there. My, my faith is actually, you know... Strengthened hell. They're behind Fringe, half the Fringe episodes. Exactly. And, and, uh, you know, you look how good that is. And with them producing, and, you know, again, we just got done saying that X-Men Wolverine, I like that movie. I enjoyed it a lot. So this doesn't. I'm more concerned the fact that Summit might be attached to it. But remember that Ender is meant to be geared a young kid. Okay. And so if you look at the way the Twilight Saga has appeared to the younger generation. Right. Despite of the sparkly vampires, right. as long as they don't make Ender sparkly, um, they're probably going to do a good job, don't you think? Uh, no, I, yeah, I, I think they would. Uh, that's my guess. Mm-hmm. But listeners, we really want to hear from you. What do you think of this? Do you think that it's bad that Summit's in it? And what do you think about um, what do you think about uh, the guy that made X Men? Uh, you know, Hood uh, being involved with. You know, you know, making this movie, mm-hmm. and uh, what do you think about Robert Orsi and uh, Alex Kurtzman being involved? How does that make you feel? They also did Transformers too. Oh, you, come on, mm-hmm. man! Did you see that latest trailer? That's I not did. your. That's not your show notes. It's awesome. That, that was freaking awesome. <laughs> oh man, mm-hmm. uh, I'm just excited. I can't wait. I can't wait. Miles, bring us into our next bit of movie news, and this is our first rumor of the night. Well. We're getting lots of rumors about the new Star Trek movie. It's, it's generally no small amount of them. Carl Urban says that the next Star Trek movie could begin filming in September or November. Uh, comes courtesy of, of Trek News. During yep. an interview with uh, Collider, uh, Star Trek actor Carl Urban said that he believes filming for the sequel will begin uh, sometime in September or November of this year. When asked if he thought uh, uh, Star Trek 2009 director J.J. Abrams will be back for the sequel, Urban said, I certainly hope so. He's a phenomenal director, and we had a great time working with him on the first one. Fingers crossed. Well, so that's it. 
So, so I mean, <laughs> so maybe this, I mean, not, not, not a lot, but it's, uh, yeah. but you know, this is what we've been getting all along stuff like, Ooh, Ooh, next Trek movie. Oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. we hope JJ directs it. We hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, September. Oh, November. Right. I don't know. This is, it doesn't give us a lot to go on. Not, and, right. uh, Feels like a rumor to me. Mm-hmm. This one's maybe even a bit more far-fetched a rumor. I'm going to let you talk about this as well. Uh, rumor of the day, original Terminator cast to return to new film. Uh, remember last week's news that a pitch for a new Terminator film starring Arnold Schwarzenegger is making its way around Hollywood? I read that. Uh, turns out that Arnie is the only cast member who might come back. According to a rumor at Latino Reviews, the proposal uh, circulating through studio offices, which is currently going under the name Terminator 2012, has attached it to not just uh, Schwarzenegger to, in a significant role, but the entire original cast of the first Terminator film. We put that in quotes because the, the report doesn't get any more specific than that, although the site claims it, it's come from a valid source. Does it mean just the main characters, like uh, Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor and Michael Bain as Kyle Reese, or will uh, Bill Pax again in a mohawk and reprise his role as a punk leader? No clue. We can only... Uh, Probably assume, however, that anything involved the original cast uh, would have to include Hamilton and, and Bain. Uh, keep in mind that uh, not a single actor has signed on the line and that is dotted, and a screenplay doesn't even exist yet. Uh, director Justin Lin of, of Fast Five fame is attached to it as well, but the uh, movie doesn't become a reality. Said so one of the studios taking a look at the property decides to write the check. That's true. Yes. As for now, Terminator 2012 would fit into the. Uh, snarled uh, continuity of the last two films in the series, uh, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, and Terminator Salvation. Latino Review offers a suggestion. Don't bother. Forget these movies ever existed and use the end of Terminator 2, Judgment Day, as your starting point again. Uh, would you like to see the original Terminator cast reunited? Do you think there's a way to make that work somehow without rebo- rebooting the series completely? <laughs> oh, man. I don't know how I feel about this, Miles. Yeah, I... <sighs> Um, I thought they were going to make more movies with um, with Christian Bale. You know, I know the people dogged in that. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed Terminator Salvation for what it was. Me too. It was, it was fun. You got this set in the post-apocalyptic universe, and I like that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go back to the 90s and 80s. Well, uh, and Linda Hamilton and, and, and Michael Bain are, you know, 25 years older now. Well, Schwarzenegger, too, for that matter. That's true. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I guess they can do some of that uh, regenerative stuff that they do through CGI, right? To make them look younger. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, I gotta, I'm not a fan of this. I'm going to be straight up. I'm not a fan of it. If you want to do something, stick with the current timeline. Heck, continue a Sarah Connor Chronicles. Do that as a movie if you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd rather see that than... Than this, I think. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. So, listeners, how do you feel? Do you would you be in? Would you go see a Terminator cast reunion? Hmm. I think a lot of people would. Nah, maybe just to laugh. Um, it, you know, it, it's hard to say because you know you bring in people like the Expendables, mm-hmm. which was nothing but these you know washed up actors from you know action heroes from the early '90s and late '80s, right? And it was a good movie. So depending on how they do it, I don't know. Right? I, I, yeah, I, I, maybe I should be cautiously optimistic. But they kill. I mean, they kill off Michael Bain's character, Kyle Reese, in the, in the first Terminator movie. Uh, Linda Hamilton's character, Sarah Connor, supposedly died of le- leukemia or something in the third film, which a lot of fans pan, and uh, they kind of t- you know move on from there to Terminator Salvation. So I don't know how you do it. I don't either. Mm-hmm. I don't. 
Anyways, let us know what you think. Uh, we want to hear from you and your thoughts about rebooting, I guess. Let's get into the 10 greatest handguns of all science fiction and fantasy. And keep an eye on my timer. Let me see where that Oh, let's keep rolling. Um, the 10 greatest handguns of all science fiction and fantasy. And this comes courtesy of IO9. And I'm gonna, we're going to do every other one. Okay. And let me start with one that is my favorite. And this is Mal, this is number 10 on the list. And I'm all into firearms, right? You know, we go to shore leave and far point and miles, you always stop at the booth that has the guns and hold them. I do. There's I do. something about that. There's something fanboyish in us that wants to get a hold of, of some of that, oh, of some course. of that iron and just, just let some shots w- slide. W- I just wish I was like, you know, eight years old again and just, uh, you yeah. are eight years old in in heart. Mark. There, there's in still heart. a little eight year old inside of me. Yeah, yeah trying to get out. Right, right. right. Um, well, number ten on the list: Malcolm Reynolds sidearm in Firefly. Not given a name. We aren't really sure whether to include this one. They said, but it got by far the most votes on our Facebook poll. There's just something about the brown coats and polls. And you have to admit, it's a gorgeous piece of ordnance. According to this super detailed gun related website, it's an antique style weapon. But judging from the sound effect, it uses some unknown futuristic propellant. Like everything else in Firefly, it's retro, but also futuristic hmm. so that's a pretty good one give us number nine well this is from blade runner uh deckard's hand cannon by all accounts this gun shoots explosive shells i mean it makes quite a mess if deckard decides he didn't like your response to the turtle those turtle questions and it's a big scary gun with uh, some rifle characteristics as well at the base uh the basic 44 it's got intimidation as well as a blasting power hey you know when he mentioned hand cannon this was not in the list but ronan dex's gun from stargate atlantis Really should be on this list. <laughs> that thing's awesome. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my crate, awesome. You hear that? Um, Dr- Judge Dredd, this is the Lawgiver MK2 from D- Judge Dredd. These puppies are just scary looking despite the weird Viewmaster wheel over the grip. They are a DNA locked to each judge and have a range of up to three miles. Three miles. That's so yep. Um Including exploding ordnance and heat-seeking bullets. Mostly they're designed to be an overwhelming show of force that fits snugly into your hand. Perfect symbolism of judicial power run amok in a world with no other societal control. Social control. Carry one of these puppies and you are the law. I am the law giver. All right. Go on, Miles. Okay, number seven. The, the Needler the, from Stainless Steel. Uh, Rat and Halo. Uh, Halo may have made uh, the Needler game gun famous, but Harry Harrison's hero, the stainless steel rat, was shooting them first. In the Harrison books, the Needler gun, which could shoot all sorts of different needles, including paralyzed needles, true serum, nerve toxins, and so on. In Halo, the needles shoots needles that track your opponents and it can shoot at a very fast rate. If you embed several needle, seven needles in a player in the same area, they explode and kill the player. Yeah. And then are you familiar with this gun? I'm not. This is new to me. Yeah, Needler. But I want one. Needle gun sounds cool. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds great. Uh, and our number six is the Colt from Supernatural. Uh, Kevin, you'll like that. We have to give some props to a gun that can kill almost anything. It's the ultimate magic gun made by gunmaker Samuel Colt, whom we met last week in Supernatural. This gun is enchanted with such powerful spells it can kill even the most powerful demons and beasties. There's only a few super, supernatural creatures whom the gun won't work on, including one of the most important evildoers in Supernatural Mythos. Still, it's a great plot device, an awesome object for your mystical gun fetishism. 
Next on our list is uh, Winona from Farscape. Uh, some, sometime during uh, season two of Farscape, John Crichton starts calling his trusty phase pistol Winona, and he and she's his constant companion through thick and thin, even if she does jam occasionally. She's a nice, sleek, automatic pulse pistol, and she's quite possibly the only gun named after Winona Ryder. She becomes a big enough part of the Farscape mythology that the Farscape PC game devotes some time explaining how Crichton got her. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I'm just thinking when they mentioned they the Winona as a gun that I'm thinking of Vera. Of Jane. That should be on this list. I don't too. think that, I don't think it's on this list, but it really should be. I want Vera. Vera would be on this list. Vera and what was the other one we mentioned that should be on this list? I just mentioned oh, the, right the hand cannon from uh, Oh yeah, from Stargate Atlantis, Rowan yeah. Dex's gun. But mm-hmm. Uh, the noisy cricket from Men in Black, and this gun was cool. Agent J learns what Yoda could have told him. You shouldn't judge by size. Agent K gives Agent J a tiny gun, which sends him flying backwards every single damn time he tries to shoot it, and tends to make anything he aims at explode, hence the name, the noisy cricket. Well, Harrison Ford again makes the, this list uh, the DL-44 Heavy Blaster from Star Wars. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because a Han Solo couldn't have shot first if he didn't have an awesome gun at his side. As with everything else in Star Wars, there are those absurd amounts of info about the DL-44 on the Internet. It has great accuracy and yet packs a heavy punch, and the ability to pack a bolt twice as powerful without damaging the sidearm. And, and it includes uh, Galvin circuitry, whatever that is, which allows it to inflict more damage with a normal drain rate. Yeah. And the good Samaritan from Hellboy comes in at number two. Speaking of magic guns, according to Hellboy Comics, the gun itself is an unearthly resistance to almost all forms of attack, includes grips carved from fragments of the true cross. The metal of the gun is forged in a combination of Irish church bells, cold iron from crucifixes, blessed silver, and other mystic metals. It's basically a total package in terms of magically enhanced armaments. Of course, Hellboy gets even bigger gun, Hellboy 2, called the Big Baby. <laughs> the Big Baby. And of course, number one, my the Mighty Phaser from Star Trek. Wow. We pretty much had to include this one. Whether it has a traditional handgun shape or a weird cell phone shape, the Phaser is a totally awesome weapon. It can stun, kill, or disintegrate. And if you're stuck on a frozen ice planet, it can heat up rocks for you. You can even say Phaser to self-destruct and turn to a bomb that will go off in an undefined period of time. Our love affair with this gun wasn't only a Phaser. It was for always. Yeah, and so it's a nice list, some very good guns. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I almost want to put Doctor Who's the sonic screwdriver in there, too, because it functions as a weapon. Well, yeah. So, so I don't know. There's some guns missing from this list. But, but this, this was a good list. It's a good list. Yeah. Good list, definitely. And let us know if you think there are any guns that are missing from it. What do you think of this list? Are there any guns you would have put on this list? Because there certainly are other guns out there. There, there. There's a ton of them, yeah. Yeah, now these are handguns. Handguns, right? So we aren't talking about big rifles. Yeah, so maybe uh, Jane's... Uh, oh, I guess there. it would be a rifle. We need our top ten rifle list. We should have a rifle list. Yeah, uh, maybe we need to do our top uh, five rifles. Top, top five rifles. Maybe that's top our next five. one. Miles, get on it. Okay. No, no, no. no. <laughs> All right, let's move into some comic news. And uh, Miles, we're going to let you take this one. Yeah, I saw this uh, sometime last week. Uh, Superman drops the American way. That's the big question this week as the Man of Steel celebrates a major milestone. While Action Comics uh, 900 carries many stories in it from different authors and artists, it's the incident by the Dark Knight and the upcoming Man of Steel writer David Goy that's not, not got everyone talking 
that, that has got everything talking, and rightfully so. In this page, Superman faces a very real threat and then renounces his citizenship in the USA. Let's back up, though. If we can only talk about the, the conclusion, we miss out on the why, which for my mind makes the scenario much more interesting. The story goes that Superman, having a nose for news, after all, is following the story of protest in Tehran, decided that it's not enough to handle supervillains and apocalypses. Supes flies directly into the chaotic city and stands there. That's all. He stands in solidarity with the protesters for 24 hours, then he leaves. The Iranian government assumes that Superman is acting on behalf of the president of the U.S. and considers his actions an act of war. With this in mind, Superman makes the realization that if he wants to be a hero in this way, stand up for the oppressed, the starving, and the dehumanized, he can't do so as a representative of any uh, one nation. Hence, he renounces his U.S. citizenship. But he is he any less an American icon now? No doubt this alteration will be a temporary one, but in addition, if he, it feels like Superman is just changing to meet the times, one could argue that the multitude of global crises we've been dealing with over the last years that America has become more connected to the rest of the world than ever. What hurts us hurts everyone else and vice versa. Maybe the comic argues that we need now is more than just an American hero. Maybe we need a global one. Someone uh, who will take the big risks in order to push the world forward, to try and make things better for everyone, and it's most ideal. Is that the very definition of the American way? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, they kind of justify it, right, a little bit? They kind of justify it, but it's almost... I don't know. It's, but you want to throw up a sign with a snake on it that says, "Don't tread on me." You know, you don't mm-hmm. don't mess with something that's like it's like making it Captain World instead of Captain America or Captain Universe. I mean, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I, I I don't know. I I I don't feel that great about it. I mean, uh, um, I mean, I think especially we haven't even talked about this because we're a sci-fi show. But you know, you know, Osama bin Laden. They capture the guy, and now suddenly there's this huge uproar, proudness of being American again. How does this, you know, you take the American out of Superman, this mm-hmm. isn't a very wise decision right now, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, we kind of we, we need our heroes. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Hey, people on the Facebook fan page went ballistic in this, and this is what some people were, um, were saying. Um, we're saying about it. Uh, Laurie said, I do not like, I mean, when does the nonsense end? I guess in mm-hmm. the response to the superheroes, you know, changing like that. Um, <clears throat> but I, I, I just wonder if it's also a way to maybe generate some interest, generate some, well, it's obviously creating controversy. Oh yeah. And I, but, well, and, and controversy is good. It gets the name out. People read controversy. Controversy can create cash. And yeah, so, so that's not bad. So, but yeah. this is like making doctor who not British, in my opinion, right? I mean, doctor I, who will always be British. I don't care if you put doctor who in America, it's always British. Our heroes do have a national identity of somewhat. So, I mean, it, there's no problem with them having an interest in what world affairs, but, um, you know, there there was a comic, the Superman comic put out a few years ago. That that you know, just sort of a different take. I mean, where Superman did try to get involved in international affairs, and then he said, you know, it's that's not what he's there for. So yeah. it's it's interesting. Adam, Adam made this comment and said, "I believe the decision by Action Comics and the WB will have a negative effect on the upcoming reboot movie, and I don't know if it will or not." Yeah. Uh, they're kind of separate in my mind when you deal with movies and comics. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I know that there's some people that really marry the two close together, really want to be faithful to the comics, and uh, I don't know. I, I I don't know. It's definitely well. It's creating some 
controversy, discussion, and interest, and uh, that makes that's for good publicity. Yeah. Anyways, this is going to go long, this episode, I can tell you right now. So let's just run through some of this stuff. Peter David did an interview on comics. And if you don't, we, we, if you haven't heard of Peter David, we've talked about him on the show before. He's a Star Trek writer, comic book writer. I did an interview with something called a podcast called the Completely Comics Podcast. And uh, we'll put it in our show notes. If you want to check it out, there'll be a link to that. And you can hear the interview uh, with Peter David cool. as well in that. Miles, you have a short review. Give it, can you kind of shorten your review on Inception and tell us a little? You watched this, I'm assuming. That's why you're reviewing it. Weeks ago. Yeah, I ran it on DVD. Um, stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, Alan Page, and there's some other uh, – and um, Michael Caine makes an appearance, and there's some other uh, uh, really good actors in this movie. Um, uh, in a world where technology exists to enter the human mind through dream invasion, a highly skilled uh, thief is given a final chance at redemption, which involves – Executing his toughest job to date, Inception. Um, uh, my wife loved it. It hurt my head after I watched it. Um, you know, and I and, fell asleep. So and, there you and, go. And Scott fell asleep. And that's our review right there. Done. <laughs> Moving on. No, go ahead. Um, if you like things that are more psychological and kind of play with your mind, then this movie is for you. Um, it did have its fair amount of action, and, and the, the special effects uh, were, were great. They did some really interesting things in it, but I give it a C. I'm glad, I'm glad I didn't see it in theaters. Ooh, we might get some hate mail about that. There's people that out there, my, my, my students swear by Inception, but mm-hmm. just didn't do it for me. Yeah. Didn't do it for me. Maybe I'm just too much of an action guy. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Not much of a thinker. Miles, let's move into the twist. Star Trek a couple, about a week or so ago um, uh, William Campbell uh, passed away um, it is our sad duty at StarTrek.com to report the passing of William Campbell the actor beloved in Star Trek circles for his role is Trelane in the original series episode Squire of Gothos and as the Cleon Koloth in the original episode The Trouble of Tribbles and the Deep Space Nine episode Blood Oath passed away early in the evening on April 28th following a long illness Campbell died peacefully and appropriately in Woodland Hills California at the modern motion picture and television uh, country home and hospital a facility for which he worked tirelessly to as an advocate volunteer and fundraiser Campbell was 84 uh, though hundreds of actors and actresses have guest starred on various Star Trek shows and in the features over the years, few made such a personal connection with the fans as Campbell. A big, brilliant man with a booming voice, charming smile, and playful demeanor, Campbell loved Star Trek fans as much as they loved him. He attended numerous conventions over the years and was a familiar face on the Trek cruises and never was he more fr- thrilled than when he reprised his role as Trelane in the video game The Star Trek The Judgment Rights. Oh, I didn't even know about that. And Coloth on D-Space 9 as they gave him plenty of fresh stories to share with convention attendees. Though slowed by health problems in the early 2000s, Campbell found the strength to attend a creation's 40th anniversary of the Trek convention in 06, and as usual, he held his audience spellbound. It should be noted that the Star Trek was not Campbell's only claim to fame. He sang with Elvis Presley in Love Me Tender, uh, starred in uh, Dementia 13, produced by Roger Corman, uh, directed a first-timer of uh, Francis Ford Coppola, and co-starred in the high and mighty uh, Hush Hush uh, Steel Charlotte and Pretty Maids All in a Row. That was the last one uh, post-Star uh, Trek feature written and produced by uh, 
uh, Gene Roddenberry. His many uh, television credits include uh, Cannonball, The Millionaire, uh, Perry Mason, uh, O'Hara, U.S. Treasury with uh, George Takei, Gunsmoke, Quincy, uh, Emmy, uh, The Return of the Six Million Dollar Man and Bionic Woman, and Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. Uh, so he has a lot of credits there. Uh, yeah, tons of stuff, stuff there. Uh, he survived by his wife 50 years, uh, Teresa, um, and this was this happened a week a week or so ago. Right. Um, so and there's a link for more details if you want. But mm-hmm. wow! So you know when you have, whenever you have someone pass like this, it's kind of you lose a piece of the franchise. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, and, and like I mean, he he, he played two iconic guest characters in the Star Trek universe, and um, his Trelane character I think was kind of an inspiration in some ways for the Q character. Oh, very good. Yeah, very good. And um, our last bit of news, I'll try to make this just brief. Um, uh, so so Bob Orsi tells us that there was a Shatner scene uh, not included. Um, in the Star Trek 2009 because of was it either fan pandering or was um, or, or was it justified and there's a poll um, it, uh, if you go to trekmovie.com we'll, we'll post the link but there's actually a poll asking what you think if, if having this scene would have been just pandering or was it a good idea but um, uh, so there would have been a re- uh, Spock would have had a recording of uh uh, of of Kirk, Kirk uh, voiced by William Shatner, and he would have shared it with a younger was younger uh, self. And uh, there is, if you look at the article, there there's a whole uh, you know that whole page script, of, a whole script of yeah. And we, we'll, we'll embed that there, but you know, it never, it did never, it, made, it never made it past the J.J. Abrams stage. No, it did not. So uh, I don't know how I feel about. it. I was kind of surprised when you said. I've never heard Shatner ever say that he was contacted. It doesn't sound like he was ever involved. But the fact that we were considering bring him in, mm-hmm. I just never knew that. Yeah, I, I actually I did hear about this before. I, I don't remember when, um, <clears throat> but um, yeah, I, I'm not sure how I feel whether leaving him out or, or putting him in would have done for the movie. I mean, the movie is still a phenomenal movie without William Shatner's presence in it, but. Uh, no, it would have been interesting if they would have if they would have had this little recording. Yeah, and they said that would have had to, the recording would have had to been before generations in order not to violate the timeline. Exactly. Right. Uh, you know. Anyways, the script is there, and we'll mm-hmm. post it. So if you're interested to see what might have been, mm-hmm. and if you want to throw your votes in at what Trek movie, let yep. us know. Yep. And um, please let us know here at the diner what you think about this. Would you have liked to see Shatner in the 2009 movie? Mm-hmm. Heck, did you even care? Yeah. I didn't miss him. No. I, I'm not saying that but there might be people that said, man, I wish Shatner would have been there. Sure, sure. Well, thank you, Miles, for giving us this week in Star Trek. We got to move into our interview with the Mercury Men, Chris from Mercury Men. Before we do that, we want to play another promo, and this is a promo from the Lifestyle Pond Network's show, the Lifestyle Jazz Podcast. Many times we do sci-fi shows, but I like to give props to our host network or mm-hmm. our, the network that we're part of, the Lifestyle Pond Network. And here's, if you like jazz and we just want to chill a little bit and you get away from some sci-fi in the world, you know, here is a lifestyle pod, lifestyle jazz podcast. Cool. Hi there, I'm James Williams, inviting you to listen to Lifestyle Jazz. 
Lifestyle Jazz is a new contemporary, modern and smooth jazz show on the Lifestyle Pod Network. It's hosted by me, James Williams, and each show you can enjoy a half hour of some of the best jazz around. So let me invite you now to visit us on our website where you can subscribe to the podcast, look at who we're playing and listen to a few shows. I look forward to seeing you soon at lifestylejazz.com. trying to destroy the building they're using it you're a pilot an engineer an engineer with a gun we have to get to the top floor and establish a signal the building is crawling with men who shoot lightning from their hands and you want me to just walk into the lion's den it is unlikely you will survive you know what i am and what i'm capable Ladies and gentlemen, the Sci-Fi Diner has always been fan of web series. As, fa- as a fan of Sanctuary, which originally started out as a web series, we have brought you interviews with the creators of the Reese series, the Guild, and the Trenches webisodes. Tonight, we bring you another interview with the creator, writer, um, I guess creator, writer, producer in Sci-Fi soon to be released, The Mercury Man. We're delighted to be speaking with uh, Chris Prex. Prexta, uh, welcome and thank you for taking time to speak with us on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. No problem. Very, very, very glad to speak to you. Yeah, well, that name just trips me up. I got it right before we were even recording this. What's wrong with me? Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Well, you said your gym teacher had trouble, so I'm a teacher. What can you say? So So maybe it runs in in that vein. Well, tell us a little bit about who you are. I mean, people... uh, some people may have followed your work because I know you've done some stuff that's gotten uh, some notice, at least by the streamies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your background, maybe what's brought you up to the Mercury Man. Um, well, I started in, in short film and, and uh, animation. Uh, and so I had done a couple short films which had played at some festivals and more importantly had done fairly well online. Um, so I did two comedy short films that were based off of the Nintendo character Luigi and the Mario Brothers. Awesome. And um, they ended up getting picked up on some sites and, and ended up getting you know hundreds of thousands of hits, um, which at that time, several years ago, hundreds of thousands was still a big number of hits. Um, 
And then even Nintendo actually took notice of them, and they used one of them in their E3 presentation, and then the other one ended up actually placing third place in uh, one of the... Nintendo had a short film competition. Uh, so one of them placed third place there and um, well, that's awesome. and actually played at the Tribeca Film Festival. So I had started out doing short film and stuff like that. Can, um, now, I, can I interrupt you? Can they, be, can they be found anywhere yet? They can. Um, if you, they can be found on my YouTube page. If you just Google the Luigi story, you'll be able to find it. Oh, very cool. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, yes. but go on. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Yes, you can see both of them on my YouTube page. But the, um, so I started out doing that. I shot a feature length independent film called Captain Blasto. Um, this was back in 2005 and it was a short film or it was a feature length film about a high school kid. What if a high school kid tried to become a real superhero? Um, so this is a precursor, precursor to kick-ass. This actually came out, you know, several years before kick-ass. Uh, but it's not as, it's not as harsh as kick-ass and quite frankly, to be honest, not as good as kick-ass, but they, um, and so it was about what if a high schooler tried to become a real superhero and he couldn't be a real superhero. So he actually um, hired people to stage robberies that he could then break up as a superhero just so he could appear as a superhero. Um, so that was a feature length film that went to festivals. And then I ended up uh, after it had done its festival run and I kind of saw what was happening online with web series. I actually took that feature film and broke it up into episodes and re-released Captain Blasto as a web series, which it then went on to be nominated for two streaming awards. Awesome. Awesome. So that's kind of the background. What got you into uh, doing film like this? Um, I mean, I've always, I've loved stories. So, you know, the thing that got me in was, uh, was things like Star Wars and Indiana Jones, you know, like, like nearly every guy my age, you know, we, we grew up loving that stuff. And, um, so it was just natural that, you know, as I got older, it was for sure what I wanted to do. Oh, very cool. Well, let's talk a little bit. Uh, so that kind of brings us up. That tells, tells us a little bit about your background. Let's talk about what led you, like, uh, what, what made you go about creating, maybe where did the idea germinate from uh, as far as for doing Mercury, the Mercury Man? Okay. Well, the Mercury Men, it really, I've always been a fan of those kind of old sci-fi serials. Uh, you know, once again, Star Wars is what kind of brought that to light. Star Wars and Indiana Jones kind of brought those to my attention because, you know, you, you don't see Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon everywhere, but you see Star Wars and Indiana Jones. And then as you start kind of um, reading more about the backstory of those, you, you find out what inspired them and, you know, which will eventually lead you to the serials. Um, so when I, when I had watched a lot of that stuff, I just was shocked that there wasn't more of it. You know, I was shocked that studios weren't doing more short serialized stuff before movies. Uh, you know, Pixar does a great job with doing short films before their films and everyone loves them. So I was shocked that studios weren't doing that, doing more of that. So when I saw what was happening with, with web series, I really thought that's the perfect place for serialized storytelling because, you know, it's already short form entertainment. You know, it's either those serials were done in seven to 10 minutes. Um, the serials were all fairly low budget at the time, you know, and, and so they were trying to create these universes and trying to create these worlds on really meager budgets. Um, and so when I kind of saw what was happening, it just felt like it was the perfect, perfect fit um, for serialized storytelling. 
the idea of actually doing the Mercury Men, of doing black and white and ray guns and whatnot, it honestly just came with a conversation I was having with one of the um, one of the co-stars of the Mercury Men before we had you know come up with the idea. I said, you know, I would just love to shoot something with ray guns. I want to film something with ray guns. It may do nothing. No one might never might ever pay attention to this thing, um, but it would just be a blast to film something with ray guns. And so that initial idea sparked it, and then obviously it grew from there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's that's awesome, and you know, it does it does have that feel. It has the feel of the old serials. At least, okay, I've only watched a trailer, but you this was released as a web series online before it got picked up by Sci Fi. Is that correct? No, the, the, nobody has seen the. Uh, not Ooh. a single episode has been released yet. Yeah, well, I know, like it. I, I know, like in the case of recent series, it was online and then it was yeah. picked up and then was offline. You couldn't find it till after it was aired yeah. for sci-fi. So this has never been seen. It was just picked up. No, this has never been released. So the wow. sci-fi premiere will be a true premiere. Oh, good. Well, I want to talk about that in a second. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me? Tell me a little bit about the the story of the Mercury Man. Okay, so the story is, it's about a government office worker named Edward Borman, who when leaving for the night, when leaving office, leaving the office for the day, he finds that the building is completely overrun with these glowing creatures from Mercury. Um, And so he just, you know, gets swept up into this giant intergalactic conflict happening in his office building over the course of 12 hours. So the first, you know, this first volume of episodes there's 10 episodes and they go from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. the next morning and him having to deal with this conflict. And so I like the idea of taking a character like this Edward Borman character who is he's this government worker who just shirks responsibility. You know, the, the opening scene is just him, you know, trying to weasel out of helping a customer because it's the end of the day. Um, and so to see a guy who's so used to pawning off responsibility have something overrun his building and take over his life in a way where he cannot run and it is all depending on him uh, makes for a really fun conflict. You know, to see this guy trying to weasel out of saving the world um, is really fun. And to see somebody who's used to just humdrum uh, life. To see him just get thrown into such, you know, extraordinary circumstances uh, is really fun. So, uh, yeah, that's that's that, that's the gist of it. It sounds it's and it sounds like it's a it's not too serious. It's kind of uh, funny, right? Yeah, I mean, we're, we try to veer away from being campy. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be, you know, anytime you're doing a sci-fi series, there's going to be times where you kind of go over the top and it's, it's, and it's, you know, kind of a, a wink and a nod. But we tried to avoid the campiness. Uh, you know, that was one of the, one, that was one of the great things that Indiana Jones did when they were translating those serials to a film. Uh, they, you know, they, they took, they had the right balance of taking themselves serious without taking themselves too serious. And so we tried to match that tone. Um, so it is fun, but we, you know, it's not, it doesn't have the nasally a voice, you know, voiceover announcer going next time on the Mercury Man. You know, it doesn't, doesn't have any of that. Um, Although that wouldn't be terribly bad either. No, exactly. But there has been lots of other people that have attempted that. Right, um, right. And lots of other specifically, you know, there's other independent films and other web series that have, you know, that we're going to do that. So we said, well, we want to try and be a little bit more. Um, I don't know what the word is, but uh, we want to be a little bit more tame on that edge of things. Oh, very good. So we have Edward Borman. Who are other main characters in this uh, in the story of the Mercury Man? 
the other main character is a character named Jack Yeager, and he is really much the anti-Edward Borman. He's the complete opposite of Edward Borman. You know, you've got this, he's an he's aerospace engineer and a captain from this mysterious organization known as The League. And so you've got this kind of space hero. You know, he is, he is to sci-fi what, I guess, Indiana Jones would be to archaeology, you know. And so Indiana Jones was really the model by which we were, we were setting Jack Yeager. Um, obviously, Indiana Jones is such a high bar to set. So, um, you know, we, we, there's no way to hit Indiana Jones. There's no way to match such an iconic character. But that was at least – he was at least the compass by which we would, we would plot our course. Um, and so Jack Yeager, he's really molded after those those astronauts of the 1960s, people like, uh, you know, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and, uh, you know, those guys. So he's um, he's a very capable guy, very smart guy. Um, so he's very, you know, willing to throw himself into a fight where Edward is 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 going to run. And so we've got this great conflict between these two characters because they're so different. And on top of that, you know, the Jack Yeager character doesn't have much sympathy for someone like Edward Borman. He doesn't have much sympathy for someone who's willing to run. So at first you kind of see him dragging Edward through this conflict and kind of pulling him by his collar through this whole ordeal. And then to finally see these two characters as the series progresses have to come alongside each other and, and help one another. And when Jack has to rely on Edward, it's, you know, it makes for some great conflict. Awesome. And then there's a character, Grace. How does Grace, she play yeah. in? Um, she's, you know, she, I wouldn't say she's, she's not in the series as much as Jack and Edward. Jack and Edward are in every single episode and Grace is in, um, she's only in two of the episodes. Uh, but so Grace is in the, um, in the very first episode and then she makes an appearance later on in the series. Um, but she's, she's someone that's coming to this office. She's a customer, essentially looking for help. And um, so she runs into that immovable object, which is Edward Borman. You know, so she comes looking for help at, at that day, and um, and he unfortunately is kind of you know weasel his way out of it, um, and then he has to meet her again face to face once the uh, once the Mercury Men have uh, have overrun the building. Well, I mean, the the actors playing these these have some pretty nice uh, acting chops. I'm looking at was it Mark Tierno, who's yes. who's you know George Romero's Day of the Dead, the Creep Show, yeah, and, and the Road, and then mm-hmm. then you have uh, Kurt Walton who plays Jack, and uh, I mean he's done um, well. He was Captain. He was in the uh, he was Professor Wood Fandango and Captain Blasso, and uh-huh. and. Um, done some stuff with IFC, and then uh, then Grace Amy Staggs has done uh, some. You know, Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof and Friday mm-hmm. Night. So, I mean, you 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 brought in some. These aren't just uh, you know typical fan film actors. These are some pretty big names. No, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, because you know, while this was an independent um, project and you know really kind of family friendly environment and really you know small project compared to say what sci fi is doing on their television channels. We still we weren't we weren't shooting a fan film, and I don't say that with any negative right right connotation. But we weren't just saying, "Hey, let's gather our friends and grab a camera and shoot." This actually it was done with a professional crew and and with professional actors. Very cool. So, how did you guys end up landing the whole sci-fi deal? Um, well, it's it there's kind of I guess a multiple steps to it. Is originally. I threw the I threw the trailer when we when I first had the trailer. I mentioned on our Twitter account 
I just finished editing the trailer. And within a few minutes of saying that, I ended up getting a reply tweet, a direct message from uh, Sci-Fi, um, from the Sci-Fi Twitter account, which is run by their vice president of, of digital, um, Craig Engler. And he said, right. hey, would you, would you mind, can I take a look at that trailer? So I sent him the trailer. I mean, we didn't even have the episodes edited yet. All we had, all I had edited was the trailer. The trailer had, hadn't even gone online yet. And so I sent him an early cut of the trailer, and he got to see it um, very early on. Um, I ended up signing then, months, months later, I ended up signing with my agent at ICM, George Ruiz. Um, and he had, he had an existing relationship with Craig at Sci-Fi. Um, and so they ended up starting another conversation about Mercury Men. And so it ended up, it ended up going from there. And so over the course of about, I'd say anywhere from four or five months, um, we had a conversation about, you know, could Mercury Men you know, what was Mercury Man a good fit and could it find a place on the um, on the sci-fi site? And, you know, luckily, luckily for us and luckily for them, we both we both agreed it was um, it was a really good fit. Hmm. And it did. You know, do you think I'd, I mean, they had a, obviously a lot of success with Reese's series. Do you think that, uh-huh. do you think that played into uh, them taking another shot at an online series right after that? I'm sure it did. Um, you know, they, if Reese had tanked, I, I don't know if, I don't know if they would have taken right. Mercury Man. So we, you know, for that, we, we congratulate Reese and right. we thank them, um, for doing as well they did. And simultaneously, they've set a pretty high bar. You know, right. they're going to be hit. I'm sure any day now we're going to be hearing that they've crossed two million views. Um, so they've set a high bar for us that, that hopefully we can, um, hopefully we can at least come close to. Um, but yeah, and so for us, sci-fi was always kind of the, it was the dream place we wanted to see Mercury Men. You know, when we were working on Mercury Men, we didn't know where it would end up. We didn't know if anyone would see it. You know, at worst case scenario, we said, we'll, we'll put this on YouTube and we'll, you know, release it ourselves and, and hope for the best and try and promote it ourselves. But secretly in the back of my mind in conversations with the other producers on Mercury Men, when asked, hey, where's the number one place you'd love to see this? It was always sci-fi. It was always sci-fi, um, and even though we had considered other place and and, and uh, you know considered offers from other place, sci-fi was you know the right place for us because not only are is that the home for sci-fi fans, but after the after getting to meet a lot of the people behind the scenes over at sci-fi, man, you'd be shocked at how big a sci-fi fans there are working there. I mean, those guys they they're legit. They they know their stuff and they love. They really love the genre, um, and so for me, that was just that was too good of a fit. Uh, it, you know, it's interesting because here we have a black and white series that'll be kind of on the Sci-Fi website. I, I can't mm-hmm. recall the last time I saw Sci-Fi do something in black and white. I mean, yeah, aside it's from kind, that, it's, 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 it's kind of a little bit of a risk on their part, I would think. Absolutely. And aside from them showing um, Twilight Zone episodes, they still do that Twilight Zone marathon once or twice a year. So that's black and white stuff on or on air. Um, but it's a that, that's a little safer than Mercury Man because it has a proven fan base. You know, right. it, it's proven itself and it's beloved by people for decades. Um, but absolutely, there's a little bit of a risk going black and white. And we... That risk is something we knew from the moment we decided to make it. We knew that there would be um, that would be a tough hill to climb, and, and for a lot of other distributors, it was. For there were some people that turned us down because it was black and white. There were some people that 
you know, were going to kind of, they, they take on Mercury Men, but you felt like maybe they just toss it off in a little corner. Um, and so it, it definitely shows a little bit of bravery on sci-fi's part to not only pick up a black and white sci-fi series, but to feature it to, you know, to really um, give it as much um, attention and exposure online as they do their television shows. Um, which are in color and which have, uh, you know, notable actors and, um, and, and much greater budgets. Um, so it definitely shows um, some bravery on their part. Well, all, all I'm going to say is that based on the trailer, I cannot wait till this comes out. And well, so, you, so, you, so, you ha- so you have to tell me when is this when- – I know, I know we may be a little bit off, but when are we looking at this being released online so that we can actually finally sink our teeth into this thing? Um, it, you're going to be looking at either late spring or early summer, it looks like right now. Um, as they mentioned in the press release, part of the things that, that's really exciting about this is that they're going to attach promos for Mercury Men alongside one of their television show premieres. Right. Um, and so we want you, you want your promo to be with a show that it would fit. You know, you're not going to put a, you know, a promo for Mercury Men in front of WWE SmackDown because that's not the same audience. Thank uh, God. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, you're probably you wouldn't put that in front of something like Being Human or Ghost right. Hunters because that's not the same type of audience. And so we're going to be looking at something like Warehouse 13 or Eureka um where that that kind of audience is much closer to what right. Mercury Men is like. I mean, it's not a perfect fit, it's not a perfect marriage, but it's at least close. Um, and so, and both of those shows premiere sometime in the summer. Um, either I think it's early summer, so uh, it'll more than likely be about uh, be sometime around then. Oh, good. Well, we uh, we'll be. I'm following you on Twitter, so I'll keep up on when that is actually uh, announced. Do. So, and we're you know we've been. We filmed this this series back in 2008 is when we filmed it. We oh, filmed wow. it in late 2008. It was um, you know the the last couple months of 2008, um, and so we we actually wrapped up post production in uh, mid 2010. So we've been sitting on these episodes, and I can't tell you, you know, everyone keeps saying when 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 is it coming out, and nobody wants this released sooner or than I do, you know, I, right. we're dying for people to see these episodes because one, we, you know, we, we made them. So obviously I'm going to be biased, but I, I've just never seen anything like this online. And so we're really excited to see how people respond to it. We really think the series is, is a lot of fun first and foremost. So we're just dying for people to kind of come into this world um, and really enjoy these. And, you know, I, I said, multiple times you know star wars and indiana jones are really the the films by which we kind of point our compass they've been kind of our guide and um you know you're probably old enough to remember that when the first star wars film came out and even even the first couple you know when the when the first trilogy came out there was something really special about those films where we didn't know everything you know lucas had done a great job of kind of creating and crafting this world where he he didn't he left a lot of blanks. You know, you didn't know everything about Tuscan Raiders. You didn't know about everything about the Cantina aliens. You didn't know everything about bounty hunters. You didn't know everything about Obi-Wan Kenobi. And so there was just, you get these little glimpses into this kind of larger world that were really exciting and made you want to see more. And, and in, in your own way, got your imagination going where you were kind of filling in those blanks. You were kind of picturing, you know, 
whether you said it or not, subconsciously you were going and filling in the blanks. Why do the Tuscan Raiders have masks? Well, they, they probably can't breathe all that, that sand, or maybe they're hideous creatures or, you know, as a kid, you're filling in these blanks. And so that's something we've also been trying to accomplish with Mercury Men is we didn't want to just create a series. We wanted to create an entire world. We wanted to create a story universe that allows viewers to kind of fill in the blanks themselves, sparks their imaginations, and allows us to, um, you know, invite something for them to come into. So obviously we're really excited for the episodes to be released so that we can finally start unveiling this world. Um, you know, another part... Uh, that we that we do with it that I'm really excited about is the series that we call our digital props. I was going to say, are, I was going to say, what can be people? What can people be doing while we're waiting? Yes, we're, we're, they're already the site has a decent amount of content for people to check out. Um, aside from the actual episode, so we've got we've got a couple behind the scenes videos they can check out where I go through our production design. I have one that, that goes through our storyboarding process. Um, so we, we we really like to kind of pull back the curtain and show people as much behind the scenes stuff as we can, because um, like I mentioned, we're, we're an independent project. You know, this kind of was a homegrown thing. And so we, we try to show other specifically independent filmmakers, you know, or, or just even fans that are really just hoping, how can I make something or how can I create my own universe or series or world? We try to make uh, those resources available to show people how we did it um, so that they can learn from that and be better than it and, and create their own things. And, and when people do create their own things, we try and highlight those. So we have a lot of behind the scenes stuff as well. Um, and then we've got this series we've called digital props, which are, um, they're, they're two, two kind of digital props. One is in, in universe items or in story props or items. Um, and so a lot of this is like blueprints and maps and, and journal entries and photographs and different things that come from the specific world of the Mercury Men. And so you know how like on sci-fi, specifically sci-fi projects and sci-fi TV shows and films, typically when they want to get an you know exposition across, when they want to get like what does that what does that gun do or what does that what does that machine do, they'll have some really smart character walking with a really dumb character. And so some dumb character will go, what's that green gloop leaking out of that engine? And then, you know, Jordy LaForge will go, well, that's, and then he'll have some 10 minute explanation about what the green gloop is. Right. Um, And so what we try to do is take a lot of that excess information out of the episodes themselves because you know it's web you got to keep moving it's very short so take a lot of that out and put it into what these digital props and so we have the ray gun which we call the lumiere and this gun we're not going to take a minute two minutes to explain how this gun works but for people that are interested you can look at the blueprint that will you know go through kind of step by step here's the piece here's the pieces of this gun and here's how here's how this gun works in the mercury man universe we also just try to make them cool looking enough that you'd want to hang them on a wall you know we just try and make you know stuff that that um, artistically is really fun that you can print it out Um, we offer them all high res so you can either print them out yourself or take them to kinko's get them printed put them on your wall so a lot a lot of that in story stuff we do a thing called we're going to be releasing a thing called jack's journal which is the character of jack yeager he carries this journal kind of like the holy grail diary from indiana jones and um each with each episode we're going to be releasing new entries in this journal that detail different characters and give you more behind the scenes give you more background to this character what was this character like prior to these episodes 
um, and, and alongside that. So that, you know, kind of develops the world of the Mercury Men. The other digital props we do, which are some of the most fun, uh, and one of the things that I'm more uh, as excited about as I am the episodes, is we do a line of fake retro merchandise. And so we, we kind of imagine, what if Star Wars had come out, or what if uh, Mercury Men had come out in 77? What if it had come out as a, as a major film um, in, in the late 70s, early 80s? What kind of cool stuff would it had? And so we make a lot of that kind of fake fun uh, merchandise, old trading cards, uh, action fi- old retro action figures, collector's glasses, and things along those lines. Some of these things you can actually buy. Like people can buy the collector's glasses right now on our site um, that look like you know the old Star Wars ones you would have got from Burger King. Um, and then some of the other stuff is fake, like the fake action figures that look like old, you know, vintage carded figures and, um, you know, fake advertisements and, and stuff like that. Um, and so not only are those just fun and kind of help build the world of Mercury Men, but though in, in other small ways, you get to learn about the characters um, and the world of Mercury Men because you learn extra information about the characters based on the back of the action figure card or based on their trading card. And so you remember, once again, with Star Wars, you you didn't know, you know, a B-Wing. You didn't know anything about a B-Wing. You didn't know anything about Bosk or Dengar or any of these characters based on what was on screen. They don't even have a line of dialogue. But then you would you'd get that old vintage card and you would read about this character on the back and you would learn about that character. And so that's another way where we can we can have further character development um, from some side characters and, and, and even from our main characters, share even more about our main characters um, aside from what's just in the episodes through our digital props. Now, can you actually play the video games that are on? Um, the, the video game is just a video right now. We just have an eight bit, you know, what if, what if Mercury Man was a Nintendo game? Okay. Um, so most of that's just a video. So no, it's not, it's not playable, but if we were to, if, if we were lucky enough to land some fan that could, uh, that knew a little bit of that coding, fingers crossed, maybe, uh, maybe someday we'll get a, <laughs> maybe someone through. listening to this episode. Yeah. Maybe someone <laughs> listening to this episode that, that would like to, to, you know, try their hand at coding, uh, a, a video game. Well, uh, we really appreciate you stopping at the Sci-Fi Diner and sharing a little bit about the project Mercury Man. I cannot wait to see it. Now, well, we, thanks. We, I we, really appreciate that. We mentioned we're all, we mentioned a bunch of digital props and all a bunch of other information. Where can they find stuff out on the Mercury Man? Um, if you go to mercuryseries.com, dot um, and then you can also just search for us on Facebook, Mercury Man on Facebook, or on Twitter, it's the Mercury Man. At the Mercury Men. Uh, so the website, once again, is mercuryseries.com. And then once again, once Sci-Fi, you know, announces their release, there'll be a, there'll be a micro site in the, in the Sci-Fi page. So you'll be able to go to sci-fi.com eventually to, um, to learn more about the series. But for right now, mercuryseries.com. All right. Hey, thank you, Chris, so much for stopping in and chatting with us about the Mercury Men. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Love to, love to speak with you. It's Andrew from Podcast Squared, and you're listening to the insightful, hilarious, and dead sexy lifestyle pod network. If you like these podcasts and you want to hear about other interesting and similar podcasts, then check out my site, podcastsquared.com, for reviews of podcasts and interviews with your favorite podcast hosts, all conveniently located in a podcast. Who'd have thought? 
Well, you just heard a promo for Podcast Squared, and more importantly, we hope that you enjoyed the interview that we had with Chris from Mercury Man. Don't forget, you can win posters from Mercury Man that we have as part of our prize package if you call in or send in uh, a voicemail or audio feedback or even written feedback in email format, giving us your best sci-fi diner moment. Yes. It could even be Mercury Man, for that matter, and how it impacted you. Very cool. Well, Miles, before we jet on out of here, give us, uh, you have your Sci-Fi 5 and 5. Tell us about this. Well, so far, these are my top five uh, audio books uh, that, uh, that have been out there that, that Scott and I have uh, shared with you and, and, and our listeners have shared also. Um, so I'm going to, th- these are kind of order of what I've, so far, I've, I've liked, I've heard so far. Uh, so number five would be Star Wars in the Shadows. Um, I might have liked it more if they kept putting some more out. Yeah, seven episodes, and it was a complete series. Uh, I think I think Kristoff said that that was complete. So, but it was it was very good, it was very enjoyable. If you if you're interested in more Star Wars, um, next is Children of Gods by C Mac. It's kind of a kind of a Battlestar Galactica ish story because there's, there's some good uh, you know um, it's it's a war drama, and that's another one I wish it would put more out. Yeah, twelve episodes and boom, that's it. I think I think I think there's more supposed to come, right? But- but these guys are, you know, are, are funny at themselves for oh, the most yeah. part. That's private. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one is I just discovered this from one of our listeners. This was this was from Jason. Jason. From Jason, yeah. So Jason, I want to thank you for uh, uh, sharing this. Uh, We're alive. Um, uh, a story of survival. It's a zombie podcast uh, by Casey Wayland and uh, Shane Salk. Uh, I'm listening to that right now. I'm uh, about two thirds of the way through of it. I'm about. Seven episodes in. Mm-hmm. Next is the, the Seventh Sun series. There was a three. Uh, there was three different um, installments of it, but I mean, uh, basically, it's about cloning and um, a cloning and kind of a, a plots take over the government and everything like that. Um, um, it, this one is, is read by the author, but very enjoyable. Um, ha, ha, you know, I listened. As soon as, you know, I listen to it real fast. And n- number one, of course, is the Lyoth Chronicles by Christoph Lapuka. Uh, that's just a so far, that's the standard by which I measure all. Uh, oh yeah, books by and me. season two is way overdue in my opinion. So, uh, Christoph, yeah. we're, we're we're Joneses for some more Leviathan Chronicles. Oh yeah, give us some more Leviathan Chronicles. But we, uh, you know, just it was one that was well well produced. Absolutely. Um, now, Seventh Sun series, I have not listened to. Okay, but you said it's good. I, I, it was very good. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to listen to it. Yeah. Sounds like one that with the cloning episodes that the Sci-Fi Christians put out, they should listen to it, too. They might want to check that out, too. They should. They mm-hmm. should. Well, Miles, thank you so much for giving us your top five patio books. Mm-hmm. And, hey, listeners, if you have your own top five anything, whether patio books, rifles, or anything that you want to share with us, let us know. You can send them in to sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. And I believe that's about does it. We got to close up the diner, close the blinds, and let's wipe down the tables and get on out of here, Miles. Until next time, good night and good luck. We'll see ya.
You can find more great podcasts at lifestylepodnetwork.com.au.